activities that look spiritual, but they're really of no benefit to following Christ. Other believers and or non-believers use these things to convince us that we're doing something wrong, that we are somehow worshiping God wrong, that we're somehow not spiritual enough. It's a distraction from true discipleship. So what Paul was doing is he's saying, all right, here are some things that, that actually aren't bad in and of themselves, and they look pretty good. These are things that have a spiritual undertone, but if you make them the main thing, if that becomes what you're about, then it's a danger to true discipleship. Wade referred to it as spiritual intimidation. Spiritual intimidation, where you are made to believe that because you don't worship God in a certain way, or you don't experience certain things when you're worshiping God, that somehow you're not on the level. That somehow you're not who Christ would have you to be, or you're not experiencing God in the way that he would have you experiencing him. Uh, Those types of things are more knowledge, more rules, more emotion, a better diet, more conferences and retreats. These are things that are all good in and of themselves, but just because you don't do them regularly or just because you don't experience God, I mean, it's really cool just, just, just now, standing in the back, watching you guys worship. I mean, some of you guys, we got, you know, we got the touchdown, we, we, we got the, the cross, we got two hands out here, we got people who are in here, we have the swears, so we got, we got some folks going back and forth, we got people with hands in pockets, and it really doesn't matter because we're all individuals because God moves in our hearts in different ways. There is no right or wrong way to express worship to God unless you're doing it in a way that draws attention to yourself or you're doing it in a way that's clearly sinful. So... And we, we all know what that is. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't worship like uh, the Romans used to worship their gods for, for clear reasons. Um, and so that, that's obviously wrong, but there's no, there's no right or wrong way. It, it, it's, it's as individual as our genetic differences. We all have individual genetic codes. We are all different people. We are unique in God's eyes. And so our worship and the way we experience that is all very different. And so don't allow someone, just to repeat, kind of, and to refresh what we said, don't allow someone to make you feel less than because you don't worship God in the way that they see is the right way to do it. Just because you're not in the mosh pit at the conference doesn't mean you're not worshiping God the way he would have you worship. Does that make sense? Same thing with your Bible study, same thing with your prayer time. If you don't pray at 5 a.m., that doesn't mean your prayer life is any less vibrant than the person who does. Some of us are just early birds. Some of y'all, if you got up at 5 a.m., there's no chance you're going to spend time with the Lord. You're just going to go back to sleep. Okay, as Wade talked about last week, once he gets on his knees, he's out. Okay, don't let others convince you that you're not doing what you should be doing because of those things. So Paul kind of sets that up in chapter two. In chapter three, he moves to the next statement. So you can't just leave that there because then what's the next question? The next question is, well, well then Paul, how then should we live? How then shall we live? And Paul answers that question through the Lord's power in Colossians chapter three. So let's, let's look at that together. Colossians chapter three, Verses 1 through 17. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. And because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now it is time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its riches fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Hallelujah. If we had just the Gospels in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, we wouldn't need anything else to know what it looks like to follow Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 17 is following Jesus 101. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. This is what it looks like to grow and to look like an ambassador of the Lord Jesus. You see, the real test of our submission to Jesus' lordship isn't our knowledge of scripture. And it's not our expressions of worship. It's not how much we pray or how little we pray or any of these outward expressions, these outward things that we can do. It's easy to put on a show. You guys know this. It's very easy. And especially in our day and age, it's even easier to put on a show and to look like you're doing the right thing, to send the Instagram picture of your Bible sitting on the desk with the coffee next to it in the first thing in the morning. And those are cute and sweet, and I'm not taking off on that, but it's easy to do that. You you don't have to know anything about my spiritual life or where I am with the Lord to see my picture of me reading my Bible at the Starbucks. That looks great, but that doesn't tell you anything about where I am spiritually. It's easy to look and play the part. But the real test of our submission to Christ's lordship is our obedience. Plain and simple. Cut and dried. Use whatever vernacular you want to use. Bottom line. You know, whatever you want to say. Plain and simple. Uh, the real test of our submission to Christ's lordship is our obedience. Paul in chapter 3 verses 1 through 17 is not setting up another list of rules for you to follow. 
This is not another check the box. And he makes it clear that, that the reason he's saying these things is because of Christ's position in our life. Last week, Wade kept, showed you all through chapter two where it kept saying, in him, through him, by him. Because it's all done in his power. So what Paul is saying is that if you are doing it in Christ and you're doing it in his power, you will be obedient. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? John chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones that love me. Are the ones that love me. That's a hard reality for us to get hold of sometimes, is that when we are not obedient, it means we don't love him. It's hard. And, and if you guys, I mean, I, I got bruises all over my body from preparing this message this week. Because what, what the reality that we have to face is that if I am not obedient to Christ, whatever it is, whatever it is that I'm holding on to, and we're going to look at those things in a minute, that means I don't love him. Or I don't love him like I should. I may have love for him, but I don't love him as Lord. And I don't ascribe lordship to him in my life. Jesus said with his own mouth, if you obey my commandments, that means you love me. If you don't, the reverse is true. You don't love him. Jesus has the authority to say this because he's Lord. Okay? That's not my opinion. That's not Wade's opinion or Pablo's opinion or David's opinion or anybody in here's opinion. That's a statement of fact. Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord, the only Lord, the one. No one else can claim lordship except for him. He is God and God is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And since Jesus is Lord, we're compelled to do two things. One, to think and believe the way he teaches It's not really an option. He's Lord. I'm compelled to think and believe the way he teaches, and I'm compelled to behave in a way that honors his lordship. That sounds like I've submitted to him. It sounds like he's sovereign. It sounds like, well, yeah, he's the king. That pushes back against the very heart of human nature because I want to be the king. Right? Right? You want to be the king, and you want to be controlling your life. You want to be the captain of your ship. I've been stunned in the last two years by the number of Christian authors that talk about you being the captain of your ship. You are not. You are not the controller of your destiny. You are not the captain of your ship. He is. Whether you want him to be or not, he is. He is the Lord. And you can run, and you can hide, and we looked at Jonah a few weeks ago. You can do all the things, but the truth is, He still causes the wind and waves to obey his voice. There is no place where you're hidden from his view. He is the Lord. Look back at verse 1. Paul says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, that's what he starts with, and then 17 verses. But he starts with, since you have been. He doesn't say, You can do these things without Christ. He's assuming that you have. This has to come first, always. It always has to be first. You have to be raised to new life with Christ or the next 17 verses. Number one, don't make any sense, and you have no hope of doing it. None. 
We can't think like Christ or act like Christ if we're spiritually dead. We can't do what Paul says here. Conversion has to occur before correction. You may hear us all the time. What we're not about as a church is behavior modification. We are not interested in you being a better person. What we're interested in is you being like Christ because you're in Christ. So that conversion must happen first. Otherwise, it's going to be exhausting for you. I mean, you're going to get really tired of trying to do this in your own power. And ultimately, unsuccessful. Because what happens at our conversion? I think sometimes we forget the miracle of conversion. We forget that it's a miracle. When we come to Christ, the miracle that happens because of Christ's sacrifice through his blood and his resurrection and what he has provided for us, it is a miracle. Our sinful nature is put to death. We're given a new nature. We're adopted into God's family. We become heirs with Christ to God's glory. Paul reminds us of that here in Colossians 3. We become heirs with Christ to God's glory. We are seated in the same position of inheritance that Christ is. That's a miracle. How can I possibly be heir to God's glory with Christ? I am through Christ. That's the miracle of conversion. But not only that, my future is secured. My future is set. I know where I will spend eternity and with whom. And my hope is transferred from the things that are on earth and all these things I'm relying on, whether it's my education or my family or my friends or my spouse or my kids or whatever I'm relying on, my hope is transferred from those things to the thing that's eternal, which is God. I move from dwelling on things on earth to dwelling on things that are in heaven. That's the miracle of conversion. And that has to happen first. And when it happens, Paul says we're hidden with Christ in God. I know that's weird language. And even in a more modern translation, it still seems a little odd to say you're hidden with Christ in God. Why does he use that phraseology? It just means you've been, I don't know, you guys remember, you you guys have seen oil spills, Exxon Valdez, the disaster in the Gulf a few years ago, and, and the commercials where, you know, Exxon glibly makes these commercials where someone's using dial soap to clean up ducks. And, but, you, but you've seen this, right? All these waterfowl are just covered in oil, and they're rescued, and they're brought in, and they use dish soap to try to clean the oil off on them. What Paul is saying here is you are swimming around in the oil of your sin and your despair and destruction, and you've been removed from that. You've been washed up, cleaned up, and tucked under God's wing with Christ. You are now no longer in that pool of danger. You are tucked and hidden under God's wing with Christ. That's who you are and where you are. Why in the world would we jump back into the oil when we've been hidden with Christ in God? Why would we go back to that? where death and destruction await. All of these things that Paul talks about here in Colossians 3, verses 5 and 8, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, 
dirty language. Dirty, nasty, filthy oil, the oil, the filth of sin that stuck to us and we had no ability to get it off without the miracle of conversion. Paul is saying here, we have to put these things to death and have nothing to do with them. Why? Because we're a new creation. We could spend days going through this list. I would make lots of people angry. It would be, be really bad. But notice the things that are all included in this list. He kind of runs the gamut, right? Some of these things we would categorize differently. Paul does not categorize them differently. He says these are all things that have to be put to death, including dirty language. <clears throat> Just FYI. Notice this thing is Christian cursing. I know that's been a big move in our country in the last, you know, five, ten years. Pastors cursing from the pulpit. Guys, not scripture, not in there. Just FYI. All of these things, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, that has no place in the life of someone who follows Christ and is in Christ. It's dirty, nasty oil that needs to be washed off. But I think there's a simple explanation for why we struggle to put these things out of our lives. Because Christ is part of our lives, but he isn't our life. We want to have some shared language around us as a church. Christ is all. He has to be our life. Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, and when Christ, who is your life? Not part of your life, saved your life, is your life. Again, he's, what, he's using here what we call a presumptive close. He's presuming that because you're in Christ, Christ is your life. Christ is your life. Is he, though? Is he my life? Is he your life? I think that's a question we have to answer. In fact, I know it is. It's a question that each one of us today has to answer. Is Christ my life, or am I just playing around the edges? Or do I just like him a little bit? I like some of his teachings. I think he can help me. He can make me a better person. He can make me a better employee. He can make me a better husband, wife, friend, whatever. Or is he your life? See, here's the encouraging thing, guys. I mean, here's the, here's the great thing. We don't have to be dead anymore. We live through him. We are free to live through him. We don't have to hate anymore because we love through him. We don't have to despair. We don't have to worry about the future because our hope is in him. And that's where my future is. I don't have to be racist or sexist or prejudiced. Why? Because we're all one in him. Paul reminds us in Colossians 3. I don't even have to live in slavery to my sin anymore. Colossians 3, 5 through 8, all those things. I don't have to live in slavery to that anymore. Why? Because I'm free in him. He's done all that for me. And if he's my life, those things won't be part of it because he's not part of that. I know that sounds simple. It's harder to execute, but it really is pretty simple. Look at Colossians 3 verse 11. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. 
And look at how he, look at look at what he disabuses everybody of. He's like, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your heredity is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. It doesn't matter if you live in a yurt or a million dollar home or a tent or if you dress in a loincloth or if whatever. It simply doesn't matter. All that matters is Christ and he is all. And he lives in all of us who have trusted him and been converted to him. That's not only encouraging, but think of the weight that that lifts off your shoulder. I don't have to be more or less than I am because I am all in him. Judy Allen's shirt last night said, I'm enough. The reason I'm enough is because he's enough. If he's not in me, not only am I not enough, I'm nothing. There's no in-between. The spiritual intimidation we've been talking about, that wants, that, that's there to make you feel like you're not enough. Listen, you're either in Christ and nothing, or you're, or you're not in Christ and nothing, or you're in Christ and you're everything. There's no in-between. That should be an incredible encouragement to us. Christ is all that matters. Feel like I'm jacking up. You guys hearing that? Like, sorry. Let me caution you with this, though. If Christ isn't your life, the thing that is your life is the thing you're going to worship. And ultimately, it will dominate your destiny. If Christ isn't your life, the thing that is your life will dominate your destiny. And you'll worship it, and that's what's going to inform your behavior. We hear people all the time, well, his life is Gamecock football. He just lives to play golf. She just loves the garden. She lives to read. She lives for her kids. Her husband is her life. My hubby, my boo is my heart. That all sounds fine. No, because when your boo is gone, there goes your life. When that garden dries up and rots, it, there goes your life. When my, when my beautiful, wonderful wife is dead, what, what do I have left if she's my life? All of these things are temporal. All of these things will pass away. My life has to be in Christ and full of Christ, and he's got to be all. He has to be my life. I have to live for him. And the reason we struggle with worship and the reason we struggle with Bible study and the reason we struggle with having fellowship with each other and all of these things that we really wish we were good at, the reason we aren't is because Christ isn't all. There's other stuff we want to do other than Christ. There's other things we want to seek for fulfillment other than Christ. And we wonder why we end up in the ditch 90% of the time. Well, because you're out chasing stuff that's not Christ. Listen, hunt that sin down. Hunt it down. Put it to death. Christ has given you the power to do it. He's in you. Find your life in Christ. Sin no longer rules your life. The authority of sin, the power of sin, its dominion and rule over your life is destroyed in Christ. You don't have to listen to them anymore. You don't have to do what it says anymore. You don't have to be a slave to the the devil anymore. If you're in Christ, Charles Wesley, 
Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. He breaks the power of canceled sin and he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. That's who I am in Christ, the foulest made clean. See, we desperately need Jesus to control our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we know this intrinsically, but we desperately need him. Every hour. I love David saying right before, right before I talk, I need you, oh, I need you every hour. I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Without his rule and reign in our lives, we continually fall victim to our sins. It just beats the devil out of us. No pun intended. You know, I thought it would get easier the older I got. And, you know, all this idea of getting more wisdom and more knowledge and more experience and learning all these things about Scripture and learning all these things about fellowship. And I thought, you know, 23, I was like, (laughs) it cannot get any harder than this right here. Like the temptation, the sin, the, the pride, the greed, the avarice. Man, it can't get any harder. And then 33, it really can't get any harder than this, right? I mean, like 33, it can't get harder than this. And then now here at 43, I'm just here to tell you, it can get harder. And it's going to get harder. It's never easy to rely on my own strength, ever. It is a losing prospect, I have lost before I've started if I'm relying on me. I cannot live a life that's pleasing to God if Christ isn't my life and if he isn't all that matters to me. You might as well bag it. I mean, for real. And i got to be honest with you, and I've said this before, and I know it sounds a little harsh, but if you're not willing... If you're not willing to turn your life over to Christ, and if you're not willing to make him all in your life, I would, I would encourage you, don't try to do this other stuff. Don't try to get better if you're not willing to make him all. It will beat you down. And ultimately, you will end up bringing dishonor to his name and probably your name, and you haven't even trusted him. It's not going to happen. It's simply not. I had a lunch conversation this week with a guy and it was just, man, it was so encouraging. He and I had a very hard conversation three years ago about sin and addiction in his life. It was a very hard conversation. It it did not, it was not an angry conversation, but he, he flat out rejected where we were going and what was the truth as part of that conversation. And, and because of it, it's kind of stepped out of asking me questions. I've barely heard from him in three years. He called me a week ago and said, can you do lunch? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do lunch. It'd be great. So we went and had lunch, and I sat down with him. When he sat down at the table, I could see the Holy Spirit in his life. He had turned his life over to the Holy Spirit. The last time I had talked to him, he had told me he was doing better, and he was going to get baptized again and rededicate his life to Christ. And I said, man, I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that. I hope that you will also turn your addiction over to Christ. And he kind of blew past it. So we sat down at the table. He said, I just want you to know I've been clean for nine months. Nine months ago, I asked the Lord Jesus to clean me up. 
I asked the Lord Jesus to take over my life, not to inform my life, not to help me. I asked him to take over my life and I checked myself into rehab. You told me three years ago I was an alcoholic. I didn't want to hear it. And the reason I didn't want to hear it is because I thought I was in control. And the truth is, Brian, I'm not in control, but I can tell you today, Jesus is in control. I wanted to have like a hallelujah fit at the Cantina 76. I mean, there would have been people heading for the exits. I mean, for real. But that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. My desires and the things that I want and my tendencies, they're all naturally oriented to me and what I want. And if I don't recognize that and turn it over to Christ like my friend did, I've already lost it. But look at the power and the miracle of turning it over to Christ. Addiction? Yeah. It's a battle every morning. It's a battle for me every morning. Every morning I have to get up and ask the Lord to make me a good husband today. Not help me be. Make me be a good husband. Help me to love my wife. Help me to disciple my kids. Help me to be a representative of God in the world with integrity. Guys, that's not a once a week deal for me. I don't know if it is for you. That's an every morning deal for me. Battle stations. Ooga. Every morning. And if not, I am right back over there in the oil slick of sin. And here comes the Lord with the bottle of dial. You know, wash him off again. Because he's not in me. This is the progression. And we're going to close with this. Thoughts become actions. What you think is what you do. Right, Mom? Garbage in, garbage out. Thoughts become actions. Actions become habits. The more I do something, the easier it is for me to do it, and then it just becomes something I do without thinking. That's what a habit is. Thoughts become actions. Actions become habits. Habits become character. It's no longer something I do, it's who I am. My friend reminded me of that. I no longer am someone who habitually drinks alcohol, I am an alcoholic. I am no longer someone who habitually dishonors the Lord, I am a heretic. Those habits become my character, and my character becomes my destiny. The only way to bring these things under control, as Paul talks about here in Colossians 3, is for Christ to be my life. To put aside the thoughts of the earth and focus my thoughts on heavenly things, to have the actions that are pleasing to the Lord, to have the integrity that's pleasing to the Lord, to be who he wants me to be, Christ has to be all. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because Christ is your life.